we are castles and cryptids where the castles are haunted and the cryptids are cryptic as fuck. We're a couple of Canadian chicks who are fascinated by freaky shit. So join us as we fall down numerous rabbit holes. Numerous, so very many rabbit holes. (laughs) Fortune telling. Yeah. (laughs) And this is episode 68. What looks in the woods? (gasps) Uh, we're doing some axe crimes, axe murders, people hacked up. Yeah. But yeah, we are doing high kill counts. <laughs> yeah, the the most killerist serial killers around. Ah, the killiest of the killy. We are doing um, abandoned places. We talk true crime, cryptids, haunted AF stuff, and much, much more. There are definitely some movie tangents in there, too, because we love our horror movie chat. (laughs) Yes, we do. Uh, So feel free to follow us on social media at Castles and Cryptids, and don't forget to keep it cryptic, eh? Yeah. In 1678, the Parisian police received an anonymous tip warning of a conspiracy to poison the king, Louis XIV. Their investigation of the conspiracy led directly to a criminal underworld flourishing in the heart of the capital. There, they discovered a loosely knit community of sorceresses, magicians, and renegade priests who offered for sale an array of products, including love spells, magic charms, and poisons known as inheritance powders. Customers from across the social hierarchy had apparently purchased such wares. Some clients dreamed of wealth and bought charms to ensure that they would always win at games of chance. Others aspired to political success and sought secrets that would bring credit with the king. Others longed for romance and invested in love charms and spells to vanquish their rivals. Still, others wanted to rid themselves of rivals or relatives. These events would become known as the Affair of the Poisons. The scandal reached into the inner circle of the king. At the end, it led to the execution of 36 people. Let's get into it. Welcome, my loves, to Poisonous Affairs. I'll be discussing the sordid details of some of the most talked-about scandals that rocked the 17th century French and English courts. It's all about lust, power, greed, and murder. I can't start off talking about the affair of the poisons without mentioning Marie-Madeleine d'Aubray, Marquise de Brevillers. And you're thinking, what the hell? (laughs) I know, it's quite a mouthful. But you need to know that she was a French aristocrat who was accused of having conspired with her lover of murdering her father and two of her brothers in order to inherit their estates. 
I have to mention her because her trial drew attention to other mysterious deaths, which inevitably started rumors. Prominent people became alarmed that they might be poisoned. This marked the beginning of the scandal of L'Affaire des Poisons. There's so much to her story that I believe she needs a whole episode to talk about her life and the crimes she committed and ultimately paid the price for by being convicted and sentenced to death. So tune in on Friday to get the full scoop of the Marquise de Bronvillers. Now let's get into the scandal that rocked the French court. As I mentioned, the scandal reached into the inner circle of the king. Many nobles were caught up in the affair, even the king's official mistress, Madame de Montespan. She was suspected of having been a regular client of the city's most notorious sorceress, La Voisin. She has an episode of her own, too. <laughs> so Madame de Montespan was eventually cleared of the allegation that she had attempted to poison the king. But considerable, if circumstantial, evidence suggested that she had employed every means possible to increase her hold over him. She regularly sprinkled a variety of love potions into his food and bolstered their efficacy with an assortment of aphrodisiacs. Oh my, I mean, seven children, what, are we, what, what is all that about? <laughs> Even more scandalously, she purportedly commissioned a series of sacrilegious magical ceremonies that were intended to ensure the king's affections. And here we are thinking that our lives and our love lives are messy. <laughs> Louis XIV appointed a special judicial commission in 1679 to try those suspected of trafficking in magic or poison. Its magistrates sat in judgment in a darkened hall, the windows draped in black cloth, and the only light provided by flaming torches. These torches lent the tribunal its unofficial name, the Chambre Ardente, or Burning Chamber. By the time the king dissolved the commission three years later, it had investigated over 400 people, sending 36 to their deaths four to the galleys, and 34 into exile. The remainder of those convicted, of those the police could find, received sentences that ranged from reprimands to periods of banishment. Several defendants, such as the Duchesse de Bouillon and the Duc de Luxembourg, were high-ranking nobles. The others were of middle to lower classes. Now, approximately 60 suspects were never tried at all. Louis XIV and his ministers considered their potential testimony regarding the activities of his mistress and courtiers to be too inflammatory to be heard, even by his hand-picked judges. These suspects were instead sent to the king's most remote border fortresses, where they spent the remainder of their lives in solitary confinement, forbidden to speak even to their jailers. At the close of the trials, Louis XIV issued a royal edict in 1682 that both instituted state regulation of the sale of poisons and declared all magic to be fraudulent. Anyone who claimed to be able to perform it was banished from the kingdom, and magicians continued to be prosecuted in royal courts 
well into the modern era. Ambitious aristocrats exposed. The affair not only exposed the activities of Paris's magical practitioners, but also laid bare the ambitions of the aristocrats who frequented the Sun King's court. The court was the heart of the political system in absolutist France, where Louis XIV lured the most powerful nobles in the country to his throne with the promise of the lucrative rewards that were only his to bestow. As Louis parceled out royal patronage, his court became a site of intense competition. Nobles vied to attract the king's notice in the hope that they might enlarge their share of royal largesse. The records of the scandal suggest that some of those courtiers, seeking to win the king's good graces, had turned to the denizens of Paris's magical underworld. Aristocrats, such as the Duc de Luxembourg, for example, sought to impress the monarch with military success. The Duke purchased charms that were to render him invulnerable to sword wounds and guaranteed victory in battle. The majority of courtiers who sought out supernatural assistance to further their ends were women. The magic they solicited was largely for Louis XIV's love. The affair of the poisons unfolded at a time when aristocratic women were able to wield unparalleled influence within court circles, despite their exclusion from public political participation. That influence was based to a great degree upon romantic intrigue. Therefore, the most influential woman was the one intimately involved with the most powerful man. At the Sun King's court, that woman was not Queen Marie-Thérèse, who was a non-entity at court, but Louis's official mistress. Given the material, political, and social advantages that accrued to the official mistress and her family, it is not unimaginable that some noblewomen had recourse to magical aid in their quests for the king's affections. Records kept by the head of the police who led the investigation into the affair, Nicolas de la Renie, indicated that as many as dozen female courtiers bought love charms and spells intended for Louis XIV. The timing of their purchases was not coincidental. Rumors were rife that the king's passion for Louise de la Valliere, his first official mistress, had begun to wane. Madame de Montespan No woman seems to have been as comprehensive or as successful in her magical quest for the king's attention as Madame de Montespan de Rochechouart. Even after she had won the position of official mistress, Madame de Montespan continued to ply the king with La Voisin's love charms to ensure that his eye did not wander. That didn't really work, by the way, but okay. She was seemingly willing to administer to her royal lover any mixture, no matter how repellent, if it promised to prolong his passion seven children later. <laughs> Some of the potions she allegedly gave the king were concocted of Spanish fly and menstrual blood. Others contained bat's blood, sperm, and iron fillings. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> A 
a number of suspects arrested during the affair accused Madame de Montespan of participating in a series of spectacularly sacrilegious ceremonies of love magic. One renegade cleric, the Abbé Guibourg, claimed that he had been hired to conduct three amatory masses over her naked body. Le scandale! Le scandale! <laughs> the amatory mass was intended to establish control over the king's heart, mind, and will by harnessing the power of a true mass to its illicit ends. Gibul maintained that the ceremony also included the sacrifice of an infant whose blood was added to pieces of a consecrated communion wafer and presented to his client for use as a love potion. Whatever the veracity of Gibulg's shocking claims, the idea that Madame de Montespan might turn to illicit magic to achieve her amatory ambitions did not seem wholly unimaginable to those investigating the affair. While the king's views on the matter cannot be known, it is worth noting that both Madame de Montespan's tenure as official mistress and the affair of the poisons came to a close in the same year. I know this is like 350 to 400 years later, but I mean, the scandal. Can you imagine the scandal? I know I shouldn't be judging the past through a modern lens, but... Oh my goodness, people need to calm their titties down. Calm your tits down. I'm clutching my pearls. <laughs> the place of the king's official mistress was a difficult position to win and an even harder one to keep. Madame de Montespan's tenure lasted more than a dozen years during which she defended her title against the machinations of countless envious rivals. Perhaps she continued to visit the sorceresses and magicians of Paris because their efforts seemed to have helped her achieve her original success. Despite her fabled beauty and celebrated wit, she evidently felt the vulnerability of her position, particularly after she had borne the king several children and lost her figure, an occurrence that did not pass unremarked. In 1678, an Italian nobleman who frequented the court, Primi Visconti, sent a catty description of Louise's mistress to a correspondent. He had just seen Madame de Montespan, he reported. She, and I quote, had grown extremely stout, and indeed, while she was descending from her carriage one day, I had a glimpse of one of her legs, and I swear it was as broad as my whole body. But, he added, I must say, to be just, that I have lost a lot of weight since you have seen me. Primi Visconti, let me tell you something, you arrogant prick. If you had given birth seven times, what do you think would have happened to your fucking figure? These men of the past and the present that think that people who give birth should bounce right back? Get the fuck. Get the fuck. It's the sheer audacity of some people that just absolutely grind my tits. Apparently, you were not raised proper, and number two, they didn't teach you to shut the fuck up. What you were taught was that your opinion matters, and in reality, it doesn't. Not when it comes to somebody's lifestyle, life, or their body. Learn to sit the fuck down, shut the fuck up, and mind your fucking business. And then people wonder why I cannot stand human beings. 
Through the charms and rituals of love magic provided by inhabitants of the magical underworld, de Montespan and other aspiring royal mistresses sought to reach the summits of the court hierarchy. The king's courtiers strove mightily for his affections because only a place very close to the king's side, whether in bed or out of it, offered access to the rewards, both material and honorific, that only he could bestow. What Madame de Montespan attempted to accomplish through supernatural means was far from unusual at Louis XIV's court, where vying for the king's favor was the preoccupation of every aristocrat. My question to you is this, how far would you go for the king's affections? I hope you enjoyed this second episode where we talked about the affair of the poisons. Make sure to tune in on Friday where we'll dive deep into the sordid details of the life of the Marquise de Bronvillers. <laughs>